The Elk Talk podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. Welcome to the Elk Talk podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson, presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk doing it's like 120 yards away. What do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk's being 120 yards away to call anybody on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes, but if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. (laughs) Did we hit the record button? I forgot to hit the record (laughs) button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? <laughs> Morning, Corey. Howdy, Randy. It's uh, three minutes afternoon, though, so it's good afternoon. Well, I haven't slept enough lately. I mean, I've been out elk hunting for the last six days. I just got back Sunday night, days oh. Tuesday morning. And all I've done is uh, try to catch up on things. I'm going to have to go back to hunting and get some more sleep. I hear you. Well, actually, that's where you're supposed to get good sleep is at hunting camp. Well, the archery season's early in the in the year. There's a lot of daylight. Oh, yeah. That Maybe I, I'm now starting to think about why I like hunting in December. <laughs> I don't know, because then you're stuck in a tent for like 16 hours of darkness and... Got to figure out what to do with all your free time. Well, I get more sleep in December than I do in August and September. Very true. When you get, you know, when you get to a certain age, Corey, you're going to start wanting more of that beauty rest. Oh, I already do. I I crave it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I spent five and a half days stomping the mountains of your home state. You were in uh, grizzly country also, weren't you? Oh my gosh. Uh, The number of grizzly attacks that have happened so far this year is crazy. My wife sent me, uh, when we were hunting down in New Mexico, my wife sent me a a link from the local newspaper that somebody in the exact area where you were hunting had just been attacked by a grizzly. So I texted you to make sure that you had me. Yeah, because you had said on, I think, a podcast or two ago that you had a premonition (laughs) that you were going to... uh, being a, yeah. involved in a grizzly attack this year. So I thought, yeah. oh my goodness, what's, the, Jennifer sent me a link and Randy said he was going to get attacked. This might not be a good thing <laughs> if the stars align yeah. here. Uh, you know, it uh, it's just amazing how much grizzly activity happens on that Montana-Idaho border country. Yep. Uh, in July, there was a jogger, a lady, 48 years old, Actually, where you and I had elk hunted in 2015, she got attacked and, and killed in July. 48-year-old uh, lady from Kansas was up there working for the summer. 
So they never could catch that bear. Well, the day you text me, because uh, we'd climbed way up this mountain, I, where all the bugles in Idaho are at least a thousand <laughs> feet of elevation higher than where they, where you are standing. Guaranteed. When you make that bugle. <laughs> so we climb up high enough. I've got some pretty darn good cell reception. I can see the curvature of the earth from as high up as we are. So, and uh, I get your text. But just before that, I'd got a text that over on the Montana side, a grizzly bear, a sow and a cub, the sow had broken into someone's kitchen. Yeah. Grabbed some food, like Yogi and Boo Boo, right? Steal the picnic <laughs> basket. And they head out, the, the, the sow, she heads out with the food. And the homeowner, it didn't sound like shot it. I'd have shot that thing. As quick as that thing pokes its nose through my kitchen window, oh, it's man. dead. Yeah. But anyhow, so Fish, Wildlife, and Parks comes and finds, you know, Yogi and Boo Boo over there eating out of the picnic basket. And so they they dispatch <laughs> the, big, the big one. Mom. The problem. Yeah. And they catch the little one, which is now getting shipped to a zoo. Well, the big mama... Through the genetic testing of, of the hair and everything from the lady who got eaten in July, they validated that this was that bear. And that same bear had also attacked somebody in 2020, in, I think, in Idaho. Yep, yep in Idaho. Over so, at what, Teton Lake or something? Teton? Yeah. Or, Henry, uh, actually, Henry's Henry, Lake. Henry's Lake. Lake. Yep, that's yep. right. And uh, so I'm telling Michael all this stuff. I'm like, you know, we're, if you triangulate where all these, uh, <laughs> you're in the middle of it. Happen, <laughs> we're, we're like, <laughs> we're right here, man. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, if you read the, the things of what you're not supposed to do when you're hunting in grizzly country, you're not supposed to stay in thick covered areas or Creek bottoms. Uh, you're supposed to make noise. But I don't think the noise they want you to make is cow calls or lost calf calls or stuff like that. So uh, Michael and I, he's my camera guy, we get way up on Gobbler's Knob there. And there is bear sign everywhere. <laughs> I'm like, what are we doing in here? This is not good. And Michael, I, yeah, I was reading his, your text to him and... He's like, man, I don't know. I, you think we should be up here? I'm like, well, we probably shouldn't be, but we're here, and we heard a bugle, so we're going to find it. Uh, <laughs> you did so. hear a bugle. Oh, yeah. Wow. That, day, uh, that, that bull, that was the one day where we were on an active bull. But you know the old saying of never try to catch an elk going up a hill? Yeah. There's a reason for that. Oh, statement. yeah. They can go uphill a lot faster than we can. <laughs> yeah. So it tops out at 9,000 feet where this guy was going. And I don't know where he stopped. But four of his cows stopped along the way. And we bumped two of them. <laughs> and I got tired. I'm, I told Michael, I said, you know what? My, my liver is flaring up here. I'm about ready to fold up on you. you you'll just have to bury me up here. I got to take a nap. So I put my puffy coat on. I go and lay out in the sun, and Michael's tucked into some brush there. And I'm like in a fourth nightmare or something. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, 
I don't know how long I've been sleeping, but it's a pretty long time because now it's like two in the afternoon. And I hear, Randy, Randy. And I kind of wake, sit up, rub the sleep out of my eyes. I'm like, what, what? And he's like, didn't you hear that? I'm like, what do you mean? He said that a cow and a calf came right up here and almost tried to sniff us, and I couldn't get you woke up. Well, I wasn't going to shoot a spotted calf. He's like, it didn't have any spots on it. (laughs) (laughs) But I wouldn't, you know. Well, well, we're trying to figure out when are we going to get a wind to go after where we thought this bull went to. Because by now, what he did is he ran around the mountain enough. So we hear him right at daylight. I'm like, oh, man, he's way up there. But he is really making a lot of noise. He wants to get shot. Let's go. Hack with it. What else are we going to do for the next four hours? We're going to climb this northwest-facing slope here with all this blowdown and timber. So you get all excited, right, because you got the downhill thermal in your face. You're like just putting the wheels to it. Boy, four-wheel drive, you know, trekking (laughs) poles, everything. You're just going because you know that thermal is going to change. Well, we didn't get up there fast enough. By the time we got to where he had been making most of his noise, we were starting to get that swirling effect. And then we hear the last bugle we heard from him. We're like, okay, he's up into that little crevice there. That little, like a valley comes down, looks like a little wine glass. I'm like, all right, we got to get up in there. By the time we got up in there, we had a full-blown uphill thermal. And I'm sure he smelled us. And he probably laughed. He's like, you know what? Every time I go on that lower bench and bugle, someone comes up here thinking they're going to get up here before the thermals change. And I just stand up here and wait for them. And once the thermal changes, I know exactly where they're at. So I just went somewhere else. I, I don't know. I have any idea where he went. I called until my lungs hurt trying to get him to respond. <laughs> so if yeah. you're at 9,000 feet, it probably didn't take too long to get your lungs hurting. No, we didn't quite get to the 9,000. Oh, gotcha. That's where he was Uh, at. Yeah, well, the timber line (laughs) kind of on that face stops at about mm, 85, 8,600. The peak itself is 9,000. So that guy, that that bull, I I have, I I never got a glimpse of him, but I'm convinced he's probably a 10 or 12-year-old bull. Oh, he's got to be. And hunting season for (laughs) <laughs> yeah, hunting season for him is entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Michael, we drove, drove in this old logging road. He's like, it doesn't look like anybody's been down this road all season. I'm like, no, it doesn't look like it. That's just the place we want to go. Well, that's where that bull and those four cows were. And they, 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 it's, <laughs> this is. Right. Everyone thinks that when we're producing video that we got it all figured out, that the, <laughs> the elk just cooperate and whatever. I, I, When I was taking my nap, once we finally got up there and I gave up on the wind direction, uh, I just, uh, I fell asleep kind of laughing at myself. I'm like, you know how stupid this probably looks to the audience? <laughs> Here's Newberg thinking he can catch up to this bull that's moving uphill through this kind of debris and, and blow down and brush. And, you know, it's not necessarily the amount of elevation that can wipe you out. It's how quickly you got to climb. So, I mean, the steepness of that. And, you know, I'm one of those confident guys. When I leave the truck, I've got everything with me that I'm going to need to 
pack that elk out. I got game bags and knives and every, you know, he- extra headlamps, and we're going to have to film this piece and that piece. You know, got to talk about how to get an elk out in hot weather. I'm running up that hill with about a 30 pound pack, and I, I'm not, I shouldn't say running, I'm stumbling up and down <laughs> that hill. Oh, well. Uh, so that was did, just one of the days. I, I was going to say, did, did you see any elk? Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. Did you so, hear any other bugles? Yeah. Oh, the first day we climb right up near this 9,000 foot peak. And, uh, you know, people know I was hunting on the Montana Idaho border. Uh, and here was my theory on that is if they bugle on the Montana side, I got a tag for that. And if they bugle on the Montana or Idaho side, I got a tag for that. I can shoot five grouse in Idaho and three in Montana. This is a hell of a deal for me. And uh, Five in Idaho? Wasn't it four? Yeah. No, it's five. I looked it up. Oh, you, they must give you more over there. In our area, it's four. They have it broken into regions in the state. So. Oh, no, yeah. that, man. Uh, not, that I, not that I ever shot five, but I was going to say, uh, I, need to I got going over I there. Got three, <laughs> I got three one day. That, that was my, but anyhow, the first morning, I, I'm like, okay, it's it's been Labor Day. There's been ATVs, there's been so much pressure here. They have moved the elk way up high. There, there aren't going to be any elk down low. So we go up high, and like my first series of cow calls over in the Montana side, I get a bull that is just ripping it. I'm like, why did we get up here so quick? <laughs> we hustled up here, and we still have a bit of a downhill thermal, and we're above him. So we scoot to try, get away from, you know, if he's going to come up here in bed, we don't want a downhill thermal coming to him. So we kind of head south and get on his elevation. And I do a few more cow calls through my bugle tube. And now I have three bulls bugling. Holy I'm like, cow. Yeah, I'm like, man, I, I've really improved my calling over the last couple of years. I mean, holy cow. They, and uh, now it's like nine o'clock and that bull is working his way up the hill and he's still got the downhill thermal and i told michael we're just gonna let it <clears throat> we're gonna let him rest you know get to his bedding spot we're gonna stay on get to his elevation and we're just gonna side hill in there and we're we're gonna be done i don't know even know how we're gonna get an episode out of this we're gonna be done so quick <laughs> <laughs> the elk talk podcast is brought to you by go hunt if you want the best application tools best research tools the best gear shop everything all in one place go hunt is the place to get it that's what we use and that's what a lot of you use if you're interested go out to gohunt.com when you sign up use promo code elk talk and they're going to put 50 dollars a gear credit in your shop account and when you do that you're going to have access to all these same tools that we use to make sure we go hunting every year gohunt.com promo code elk talk the elk talk podcast is also brought to you by mountain ops making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel, and post-workout recovery. And my favorite, their new performance protein bars that, by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order. Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by the University of Elk Hunting. 
The University of Elk Hunting was founded by Corey Jacobson. It is now part of the suite of courses out there at OutdoorClass.com. So if you want to sign up for the University of Elk Hunting and save some money, go out to OutdoorClass.com and use Elk Talk as your promo code and you'll get 20% off. But more importantly, you're going to get the University of Elk Hunting. You're going to get other courses from Outdoor Class taught by Corey Jacobson, Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, John Barclow, Hank Shaw, Jamie Teagan, and on and on and on. There you have it. OutdoorClass.com will get you the University of Elk Hunting. Just make sure you use promo code ELKTALK and save 20%. Well, he climbed up the hill, and we never did see him. He was coming through a really thick timber drainage, just one over from us, and we could just hear him getting closer and higher in elevation, higher in elevation. And he just kept on going into Idaho, down over the other side. I have no idea where he went. He never stopped. Wow. I know it wasn't a hunter. There is not a hunter in North America who could climb that steep slope through that timber bugling that much. So I told Michael, I said, well, this other bull over here that got fired up from all this talking back and forth, we're just, we'll just go kill him. So we went out there on that point. And I have no idea where that bull went to. <laughs> Sounds like you're chasing that. Houdini elk. They just I know. all disappeared I, I, on you. If I didn't have a camera guy there to verify my bad hearing, I would have thought that I was making it all up. <laughs> so, yeah. So, the very first morning, I had three bulls bugling within, I think, my first series of calls. Wow. Like, <laughs> and what was the Whoa, date? You were hunting early. So, that was like, what, September? Yeah, that was the first day of hunting, I think, was September 5th. Wow. And do you think we could get those bulls to respond once they shut up dope nope and then the atvs come up really so I, I i take it that in the atv world over there on the montana side you kind of drink beer all night you're a little hungover and it's kind of cold so you don't fire up your atv till about 10 o'clock but when you do you make sure your 33 buddies and their atvs <laughs> you're just driving right along with you <laughs> It, it, it looks like the Great Northern Railroad coming through there. It's like, holy cow. So that's why all the I elk were getting out of there. Yeah. They, they completely I, left the state, literally. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyhow. Hmm. Kept hiking and hiking and hiking. Never could find those bulls again. That one, he just kept bugling. He might be in Oregon by now, still bugling. <laughs> he was headed west. Uh, there was no hill, no road, no anything was slowing him down. <laughs> and uh, so then I just took the grouse out and then I shot three grouse and called it good for the day. Nice. So, but yeah, I, I heard elk, saw elk. I, uh, shoot elk? No. No. Okay. No. I got, I got greedy. I screwed up. Uh-oh. Are you going to tell us about that, or do we have to wait and watch that? Well, no, you, yeah, you can. I'll tell you about it. <clears throat> so I got a question for you. Okay. When you hear elk bugle in the morning in the dark, so we park at the gate, we walk in 45 minutes before daylight, and there's a few elk bugling. I'm like, all right. And I'm marking where they're at on my map. Okay, we'll go to him. We'll go to him. Well, <clears throat> very first one we go to, Quick as the sun came up, it was like dead silent. 
I, I, I'm like, oh, these must be other hunters out here calling in the dark, just like I might do. But if they're calling in the dark, I'm not calling in the dark. I'm not going to let them know I'm there. I'm just going to let them advertise. So we go about a mile up this logging road and we stop. I sit up and uh, I, I was doing some cow calls down lower through my tube, like just blowing them out there. And this guy responded. I'm like, oh, he likes cow cows. Good. Well, I'll, I'll stick with that. So we get up there, get to this setup, and I soften it up. I don't use my tube. I just cow call. Nothing. Cow call. Nothing. Do this off and on for about eight, ten minutes. Nothing. I'm like, well, he must have moved off. And so I, I'm getting rambunctious at this point, right? I, I know there's bulls around here, and I know they respond to cow calls. So he, he must, I, I just got to go find where he's at. So I told Michael, come on, let's go the, go around this corner up here. The wind will be a little more favor, to our favor. Come around the corner, and there's a raghorn standing there. Looking at you. He's been listening, <laughs> but he hadn't said anything. <laughs> He was only 150 yards from where we had been set up. And I don't know if he was going to come in any further or if he just said, well, I'm just going to stay here. I, I I don't know, man. I, I, this trail gets a lot of use. I, I, this might be a hunter. I, I think these are the same dudes who were here opening day, <laughs> even though I wasn't there opening day. So he takes off running. After he sees us, I'm like, oh, man, I can't believe I screwed that up. So the question I uh, I, I kind of asked myself and asked Michael, I'm like, I wonder how much longer we would have had to stay there before he would have worked his way in that last, you know, however far. Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, because we'd already been there probably 10 minutes. So had he just got there? Or had he been close and he came there and for eight of those 10 minutes, he just sat, stood there and listened. Yeah. And said, yeah. I don't know. I don't Because there was so much timber in this area. From where he was at, he couldn't see us. So I don't think, you know how a lot of times they come in silent and they just stand and they watch because yeah. there's a, it, it's a little more open. There was He was standing in some pretty thick stuff. It wasn't like he was standing and watching. I think he's standing and listening. Yeah. Yep. So that was day, that morning was day three, day four, day four. And uh, so screwed that one up. (laughs) (laughs) What was the weather like? Beautiful. Other than it rained every afternoon. Oh, really? Every afternoon. It was, I mean, you want to pack your rain gear. Uh, uh, Or I did. I'm like, you know. I mean, for me, this time of year in September, I know it's, you know, most of the places I'll come, it's going to be some sort of afternoon thunderstorm every other day. So I just have my rain gear stuffed in the bottom of my pack. So I don't have to retreat when a squall comes by. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but. Cold in so, the mornings? Eh, one morning it was 39. Most yeah. mornings is in mid 40s. So not, not getting uh, any frost or anything? No. So, this same morning, I think I hear a cow calling out in the middle of nowhere there. So, I stop and I set up, do a few lost calf chirps. All of a sudden, I hear, I'm like, oh boy, get ready. 
here comes a little bull calf. You can see the little knots on his head. (laughs) (laughs) And this guy's lost. He is just nonstop. And he walks away from us. I do it. Oh, he comes running back. And I told Michael, I said, oh, dang, I was hoping it was a yearling. It's a bull calf. He, Michael says, but it doesn't have any spots. <laughs> that I was your one, your yeah. one stipulation. Right. Yeah. And we couldn't get rid of that thing. That, that thing wanted to follow us a, around like little Bo Peep has lost her sheep or something. <laughs> and, uh, but then it, finally, I, I think he realizes, hey, these are people. And he takes off kind of trotting, but the whole time doing his lost calf calls. Well, we follow him up the mountain, and he gets up there, and he finds the cows. Because when we get to, the to like, the peak peak, this timbered knob, there are cows just, they're like, well, come on, we're over here. I'm like, that's got to be hunters. <laughs> I mean, I've never heard that much cow chatter in my life. So I told Michael, I said, let's just sit down here and see what happens. There's this water hole over here. There's just It's an old logged area, so there's still a bunch of fur, but the open area is just food like you can't believe. And there are so many elk tracks. So we sit there. Sure enough, about 5 o'clock, the cows start working their way out of the timber from that ridge. And we couldn't make an approach on them because by the time this all happens, now it's noon and they're still chirping up there, but they're above us, right? Uh, we're the. It's like a, like a chocolate chip tip to it. Like I mean, <laughs> they're at the very you top. Could, yeah, you are not going to approach that without being smelled. So I told Michael, as quick as the sun goes behind that mountain, because there's a big peak off to our west. I said, uh, I think those cows are going to come down here, and they're going to drag that bull with him. And they did. They came down there, and. I should have shot one of those cows. You had a chance to? Bullnut. I could have, I, when I saw where they were going, I could have snuck down there. Because we now we had a downhill thermal when yeah. the sun did go down. And they're out there just feeding. And I could see where they were heading. They, they were about 100 yards from us. And I had this line of timber. I could have just snuck down to that corner in the trail and waited on them. But I told Michael, I said, there's a bull. If there's cows this noisy, they've got to have multiple bulls with them. No bull showed up. Really? Those cows must be some of the orneriest women on the mountain. They've run <laughs> off every bull. So after they, now they feed down below us. And yeah, they, now they smell us. Cause now that uh, they, you can hear kind of a quick pace as they're going through the timber. When they got downwind from us, I told Michael, I said, let's get that bull up out of the bed. Let's, let's get him going. So I start bugling. We get a response, but that thing is about a mile away. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's so faint. I'm like, is that just an echo, or is that what? What is that? And Michael's like, no, that, that's a bull. And every time I'd beagle, he'd respond, but he was so far away. So, I, I played that one wrong. I probably should have just, you know, in retrospect, found a way to get those cows out of my way because the so we're set up to the east and slightly downhill the cows are to our west and the bull is even further west of them so the only way i'm going to close the distance on that bull is i'm going to blow those cows out of there yeah and uh so screwed that one up got greedy (laughs) then 
you know, I said I was going to shoot a cow, right? Yeah. If I got a chance. Well, I was so convinced that if you have a group of cow elk sitting on a ridgetop, chirping and mewing all afternoon to the point where you think it's a bunch of crazy hunters. Yeah. How does that not attract a bull on September, whatever day it was at the time, 8th or something, yeah. 9th? I don't know. So I could give you a full play-by-play of all the things I screwed up, Corey. <laughs> well, how many times have have you or have you heard, you know, you get a, a small bull and then there's a big bull bugling in the background, so you pass up that small bull because you're just certain you're going to get a shot at the big bull, and then you yeah. don't end up with either. Yeah. 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 The old bird in the hand, right? Yep. So yeah. the the last tale of woe here the next day we go up same road and so there's so many people camp there i am dumbfounded that nobody is walking this road other than they all brought their atvs so maybe they just say oh i since i brought my atv i only gotta i gotta just hunt atv trails (laughs) there were probably 70 or 80 camp rigs set up on our way into this spot. Wow. So we're getting up super early. We're showing up an hour before legal shooting light because we want to be the guy at the gate, right? And park there. And so we do that again the next day. And the elk are kind of getting with it again. And when we'd walked out the night before, uh, when I screwed up, uh, gotten greedy with those cows, we heard four different bulls bugling back in there. We're like, all right, they're here. We just cannot get the dang things to do what we need them to do. So we walk in the next morning, and we get to this corner where that raghorn had been standing that I just walked into. So we set up slightly downhill from where that is. I'm like, you know, there's a little point that goes out here with some lodge poles. I wonder if that's where he's bedding out there. I do a couple cow calls, and... (laughs) you can hear this bull coming to us. <laughs> I'm like, holy crap. I We should have thought this through a little further because it's now 60 yards to the timber and we got these three little trees. Just I should have went and stood by the edge of the timber Yeah. before I called. Never call in the I wide got, open. You get pinned down. Yeah. I, the, <sighs> Sounds like you and I, I learned was, a lot of the same lessons early this year. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, you know how the intro to our podcast is, and somebody called me on their cell phone. Yeah. I was going to call you and say, Corey, <laughs> what do I do? I got this, I got this raghorn standing here at 60 yards. He's standing there on the edge of the trees and he won't come in any further. What do I do? <laughs> I, I thought about doing that just for humor, but I wanted to shoot him. Yeah. So he, he came in and... You know, he instantly had us pinned because he was not bedded. I bet you he wasn't bedded 200 yards from where we set up for our first calling session. <laughs> I mean, what's the odds of that, yeah. right? I'm thinking, because the night before, we'd heard him down in this bottom. I thought, well, he's going to be down in there. You know, he uses this point out here, but he's, he wouldn't be bedded right now. Well, he wasn't even out on the end of that point. He was close to this opening. So I was thinking if we hear them, you know, we could move this way or that way, get out of this opening and not just hide behind these three lodge poles that are standing here. Well, <laughs> he, he was there so quick. I, I, I'm like, uh, man, I am really good at calling this year, boy. When I light it up, they're, they're just boom right there. Well, he, uh, 
he stands there and he looks at us. And he can't see us because these lodge poles are, they provide us enough cover that they're definitely, you know, they're 30 foot tall lodge poles, limbs all the way to the bottom, and we're standing in front of them. But he stands there for a little while and he looks and he looks. And we really, he's in such, he came in behind such thick brush. One, I'm not going to take a 60 yard frontal shot anyhow. I'm not going to take a 60 yard shot, let alone let a 60 yard yeah. frontal shot. <laughs> so he starts moving to our left. And he gets into another patch of trees, so I call called again. I'm like, well, I don't like where I'm set up, but I want to see what he does. When I call called again, he just walked straight away. So my idea that my calling was really slick, he kind of gave me the rump ride there. Just <laughs> like, you know, nanner, nanner, nanner. <laughs> never heard from him again, never saw him again. I mean, I, I... I, it this hunt is like a clinic of how things can go snare wire. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think if I've ever set up and made a call where a bull, the first call of the morning, the bull was that close to me when I set up and called and he instantly closed the gap. So, I mean, it's like, <sighs> but, no, I mean, oh, well. it goes, you know, whether it's your first call or your hundredth call, when you when you call, you want to make sure that you're not out in the open, but also yeah. you want to make sure that when you set up to call that you're in a good setup because you don't want a, a bull to come in and yeah. not give you a shot. You know, they a lot of times they come in like that, just so quick and, you know, they're yeah. on a string. And mm -hmm. when that happens, you don't want to be caught in a bad setup because you did everything right on the calling. You got the bull coming to you and coming in. And then he got there, and you couldn't get a shot. So that's, yeah. that's why I always yeah, say I'm, that the setup is where, you know, the separation between success and failure really happens with archery hunting. It's it's almost <laughs> always in the setup. Yeah. And, you know, th this is, again, me being a little bit lazy, trying to hedge my bet. Walking out the night before, we'd heard a bull off each side of this trail. So I thought, if I stop in this little opening— whether it's the bull on the north side or the bull on the south side, they're going to hear me. Well, what I should have done is got into the brush somewhere on either the north side or the south <laughs> Pick side. Pick a side. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought, you know, these bulls are going to, if I get a response, they're going to be four or 500 yards away. Anyhow, I got plenty of time. I didn't have enough time to hardly sneeze. And he was standing there looking at us. <laughs> <laughs> He'd been waiting for you all night. Yeah. So I guess the thing that, I left that hunt pretty optimistic in a lot of ways. Uh, everyone else we talked to is like, I haven't heard a bugle. I haven't heard a bugle. Like you, it you sounds it? like you've been hearing a lot of bugles. Yeah, we, and, you know, go, going back to e-scouting, uh, you know, how we use the elevation bands on the terrain analysis tool with the, the go hunt maps. Uh, I had kind of e-scouted by elevation band because even though i knew the elk could be in what you're like this they could be at the top of the mountain or they could be at the bottom out in the flats every elk that we encountered after but before we started chasing them to the top was somewhere between 7200 and 7700 feet <laughs> and i don't know what was going on at that elevation band but that is where the cows were. 
there was something going on at whatever food. I was just going to say, you know what was going on. It was, that's where the food was. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, if when we hunted really high, like above 8,000 feet, you know, we, the, the bugle that took us up to almost 9,000 feet, when we first heard him, he is at like 76, 7,700 feet and took us 1,000 feet up the mountain before we, we were wore out. Yeah. I, I they, they, and so this is what intrigues me about archery elk hunting. I I'm going to spend the rest of the year trying to figure out that riddle. Why were these elk? And I don't know if this happens in other places, but in this place, at least for my small sample set, every bugling bull I heard was within a certain elevation band. Uh, yeah. And I was hunting an area where the lower countries in the 6,000 feet, the high country can go up to 10,000 feet. But if I got higher or lower, I didn't hear squat. <laughs> so was, was there the more last, access down low? Oh, down low. It's like a, a demolition derby down there. I mean, I, I wouldn't insure somebody on an ATV down low. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the odds of getting in an ATV wreck there seem pretty good. Really? Based on my observation. Man. And, uh, I mean, I get it. You know, multiple use, open trails, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and there were a lot of people. Okay. I, in the footage, people are going to see me laughing, and they're going to be thinking, what is Randy laughing about? And I was laughing about some of our recent episodes where it's like, you ever hear the I can't tell you how many times I heard that down below me, Corey. Uh, I'm like, okay, I get it. You own an ATV. That doesn't mean you got to hunt from it. And if uh you choose to, that's great too. But like we said, at least let the radio shut off before you let out a bugle. (laughs) (laughs) The elk can hear that. You know, you pull up there on your ATV and it's... Yeah. And when it shuts off, the elk are going, okay, there was just an ATV there. And three seconds later, an elk bugles are like, wait a minute, an elk wouldn't bugle if an ATV was right on top of it. Give them yeah. a couple minutes to settle down and forget that ATV was right there and then let out a bugle. And odds might go yeah. up a little bit. but And maybe that's part of the reason why, you know, most of the ATV trails are in the lower country and in the foothill country. And yeah. maybe that's why those elk were just you know, Probably. 500 feet of vertical above where all the ATV activity was. Yeah, uh, I'm not saying they're in sanctuary mode this time of year, but there was so much good food everywhere. You you guys must plant elk food in Idaho. Oh, yeah. I, I can't remember, other than, the you know, the grasslands of central Montana, eastern Montana, I can't remember seeing as much forage on the landscape as I saw in this hunt. Yep. It's crazy. It's been a good year. Yeah. And I can't, even with all that, I can't even get an arrow on a bull out. <laughs> but you did, you did kill some grouse. Oh, yeah. Did you cook them at camp? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are, are you going to yeah. share the exact recipe you use, or do I mm-hmm. have to wait until after the podcast, and then you'll tell me? I don't even know if I'll tell you after the podcast. Oh, man. I've got five oh. grouse in the refrigerator I need to cook tonight Ooh, really? for dinner. Yeah. All right. All right. I might send you a package. Well, you don't have to it won't send get me there anything. before for yeah. dinner tonight. You don't but. have to send me anything. Just, just yeah. an idea. 
Yeah. I mean, all it takes a little extra, you know, virgin olive oil, uh, you know, get it hot enough that when you sprinkle the flour on there, it pops and sizzles, but olive oil has a lower burning point, so you don't want it to burn. Yeah. And you cut them into uniform pieces if you have to, so you don't have big breasts and little tenders uh, that one gets really done and the other is raw, you know? Yep. And, uh, yeah, whatever seasonings you want to put on it. A little lemon pepper, a little white pepper, a little cayenne. I'm taking notes. (laughs) Little thyme, little basil. So, yeah, yeah, uh, I, you guys got some weird rules about grouse in Idaho. We do. What in the hell is a maintained road, Corey? Well, in because my... I didn't see a road there, a forest service road that was maintained at all. Yeah. I can see why a lot of people own an ATV because the forest service road budget must be zero in Idaho. Yep. So your rule says that you cannot shoot a grouse on a road that is maintained by any agency. Across the road, from the shoulder of a road, yes. Or an embankment. Yeah, but the the catch there is a maintained road. Right. What is a maintained road? Well, I'm not sure. If it's not clearly defined there, I guess it would be up to each user's discrimination. Do you know how many limits of grouse I could have shot if I knew what a maintained road is? (laughs) You saw a lot of grouse on the edge of a gravel road? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, Did you you see anybody maintaining it? No. (laughs) I had to lock in all four and almost put it in low. Well, then it probably wasn't a maintained road. I don't know. I have a, it, when you're in my position, you don't take chances yeah, on interpretation. So, yeah. And be. it says with any weapon. So, I couldn't even shoot him with my bow, even though I had my shotgun with me. Hmm. Well, here's another question that I don't mm-hmm. know the answer to. Can you shoot grouse with a slingshot? I don't know. I don't have a slingshot because I'm not good enough with one. But, <laughs> well, I tell you what, that, those Montec... Uh, uh, small game point? G5, yeah, small yeah. game head. Yeah, they got a workout. They are good. And I didn't even lose one of them. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes these darn rough grouse, they fly off the trail and they, they land in a tree, you know, like on limb, like eight feet off. And so you, you end up, you don't have much of a backstop there. And yeah. your arrow goes into the far beyond out in the middle of the forest. <laughs> well, I wasn't doing that this time. I told Michael, I said, I'm I'm going to wait for him to run uphill where they got a backdrop there. That way I know I'm not going to lose an arrow. Yeah, I, I made one of my finest shots ever. I, I'm so proud of the one grouse I shot, Corey. He's walking through the lodge poles, and you could hear him. <laughs> and I'm like, Michael, come on, come on. Every time we get to a little opening, he'd cross it before we could get there. I'm like, all right. So I went way ahead of him, and I can hear him coming. It's kind of like a bull elk coming in, bugling. I'm so excited. I can hear him. I see this little head. And I got a window about as big around as a soup can there at about, I don't know, 15, 16 yards. And I'm at full draw. And just as he sticks his head into that opening, I release 
and I poleaxed him. <laughs> I was like, man. And Michael, he's like, holy crap, how do you thread that through there? You got him. I'm like, I know I got him. <laughs> Big old male rough grass. Nice. Yeah. Were, I, were I, you seeing pretty much just rough grass? No, probably half and half. When really? it, obviously, when it got, got higher, saw blue grass. Yeah. yeah. So, but I'm going back there next year just grouse hunting. I, I don't need an elk tag there. Yeah. Heck with that. I'm going back there grouse hunting. <laughs> All you'll see is elk then. Well, probably. <laughs> I'll laugh at them. <laughs> I'll say, hey, you're the guy who, cha- who made me chase you all the way up the mountain that day. <laughs> I was thinking about you and Donnie when Michael and I were doing that. I told Michael, I said, you know, Corey told me this story about him and Donnie last year. There's elk kept bugling up above him, up above him, up above him. They kept climbing and climbing and climbing. I'm like, I think this guy's related to that same elk. <laughs> uh, one last Idaho story, then we'll get to New Mexico. Because that's where you were, right? I was, yeah. So how big of a pile of bear poop does it take before it's grizzly versus black bear? Because we saw two black bears. Yeah. Brown-faced black bears. Yeah. Uh, the the night we were coming off that mountain when we chased that one way up there at almost 9,000 feet, we're coming down. And we run into this really tight canyon it's really the only way you can get down through there. And there are those mountain ash with those clusters of orange berries yep. everywhere. Yep. And we stumble across a fresh, slimy pile of mountain ash berries that had come out the end of the, the south end of a north headed bear of some <laughs> sort. <laughs> and I don't think there's a black bear big enough to have pooped a pile that big. Yeah. I, I mean, it, I mean, it's like if you took the biggest cow pie you've ever seen and you stacked like three of them that size together, that's how big this pile of mountain ash berries was. Yeah. And what's crazy is those berries come out without even being processed. Like they're yeah. still in the same form as when they went in. So it's yeah. like, why so are they what, even what, eating them? Right. What's he getting uh, for nutrition out of there? Nothing. Anyway, I pointed to that to Michael. I'm like, I hit it with my trekking pole and it just like, crumbled it, it, it slimed apart it wasn't dry enough that it had crust to it i'm like you think a black bear could poop a pile that big and i was like <laughs> no how far is it to the truck <laughs> i'm like well i think if we don't run into this bear we'll be there before dark oh <laughs> uh, yeah that was you know but elk hunting the fever of chasing a bugle unfortunately sometimes overtakes maybe good judgment and so you expose yourself to a little more risk than a smarter person probably totally. someone not under the influence of bugling noises would have made a different decision but anyhow that's uh that's a report from idaho i can give case by case mistake all along the way <laughs> my idaho out tag is still in my pocket well, there's and still I had season a heck left. of a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, but I got to go to Idaho and then, or go to uh, Utah, then Kentucky, and then Canada. So I'm gotcha. So, how was New Mexico? Well, we probably need to give a, a little bit of a backstory here because uh, okay, you were you were in on the collusion. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yep. So I had an opportunity. I've got a, a friend that lives here by me that uh, leases some land in New Mexico. And he had a, had a couple tags and he reached out to me to see if I'd be interested in, in buying a landowner tag. And this was in new, uh, northern New Mexico, so it's just good for the, for the private land. And I said, well, here's what I want to do. So I concocted a story that Randy and I collaborated on to let Donnie think that we were going to New Mexico to call elk for Randy. And so Donnie's thinking he's just going down there to, to be a caller and a packer, and Randy's got the tag. And the whole time, the tag's for Donnie. <laughs> so I had to call Randy because when we went to Big Sky for the uh, Total Archery Challenge, I knew that we'd all three be there together. And I wanted to make sure we had a story straight. So we <laughs> kind of did. And uh, yeah. so basically, I told Donnie, hey, there's a lot of bear and turkey down there and and we can hunt bear so bring your bow and if randy happens to get an elk early then we'll go and we'll bear hunt so that's how we got donnie to bring his bow to new mexico it was i mean we had this whole fabricated story there to to pull this off so we got down there and and john's videoing and he came over to my tent and i was kind of explaining you know what we were doing there and so then we went into the main tent where donnie was and and i said well i've got good news and bad news what do you want first? And Donnie said, well, I always want the bad news first. I said, well, Randy's not going to be able to make it down here to elk hunt. And he said, okay. And I said, the good news is, is I've got an elk tag here for you. And uh, he was, he was pretty (laughs) excited, but he did admit that he had some suspicions about what was going on. And he said, you know, I, I told my wife that, Either Randy's lying or Corey's lying or they're both lying because their stories aren't <laughs> aren't a hundred percent matching up. And, oh. and then he listened to a podcast, I guess, where we must have let the cat out that you were hunting Idaho the first week of September. So he started thinking, well, how's he going to be in New Mexico the first week of September if he's hunting Idaho? And then he thought, well, maybe he's just saying that to cover. So he's like, I was just all confused, but. <laughs> Anyway, I told Donnie, you know, this is this is my uh, my thank you for being a, a great friend and a great hunting partner. And you know, we've never never bought a landowner tag. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. don't hunt private land. And so this was kind of a out of the out of the norm for us. But I thought, you know what, this is a, a one time opportunity, or a, you know, just a, an opportunity to tell Donnie yeah. thank you and be able to go and do something that um, maybe we wouldn't normally do. Yeah. By cool. by day well, by day seven, I was wishing I was on public land with an over the counter tag hunting with Randy in <laughs> Idaho. <laughs> it was it was tough. It was hmm. early, it was hot, it was a full moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just a lot going on. You know, when we got there the first couple of days, the bulls were still in their summer pattern. We saw yeah. four mature bulls hanging out together on day four of the Whoa. hunt. Yeah, like 300-inch mature bulls, like six points. Wow. And they walked right by a group of five cows and three spikes and didn't even turn their head to look at them. We couldn't get them to talk. Those four <laughs> bulls wouldn't talk. They didn't care about anything other than just getting back to the bedding area and laying down. There were groups of four or five raghorns hanging together. Uh, we heard very, very few bugles. 
So it was, mm-hmm. you know, we had to revert back. I, I really thought that we would be hunting rutting elk and a lot of elk and that the property we were on would, would have a lot of elk. Well, it had summer bulls up high. And then once they left and started roaming, looking for cows, all the cows were on neighboring properties that had big ponds. And so they were, the bulls were leaving the property and going there. So, you know, there's, there's, a, there's definitely some pros and cons to public land and private land. And where you're yeah. locked into just one piece of private land, you can stand there and look at 200 elk out in the field in front of you. And if it's not on your private land, it doesn't really matter if you're on public or private right. there. So, and, uh-huh. uh, you know, I could, we'll go through and I, there's a, we got, we learned that it was going to be a tough hunt. And that's always frustrating. Yeah. We camped at 10,000 feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hunted up to 12,000 feet. Whoa. Uh, yeah. We didn't really, only one night did we go below camp and hunt. So we spent seven of the eight days uh, above 10,000 feet. So that alone, you know, it takes a couple days to even acclimate to that. But even by mm-hmm. day eight, you could still only go 20 yards up straight up a hill at a time. And then you'd have to stop and catch your breath and it was mm-hmm. uh physically it was a very demanding hunt we did uh we hiked 70 miles in seven and a half days True. uh like i said at high elevation and we did a lot of sitting so we didn't go back to camp during the day once once we left before daylight we didn't get back till after dark uh and we found some really good water holes and we just thought as hot as it is we've got you know at least a chance of something coming in and yeah. and we did, but we never saw anything come in. The one place we sat, <laughs> there were three water holes and wallows all kind of lined up in this little, uh, I don't know, a spring seep out of the mountain area. And we picked different ones to sit at each day. And whichever one we picked to sit at, we could hear elk come into the other one. <laughs> but it was too noisy. We couldn't get up and go and look because it was just so steep and noisy that the second we'd have got up and tried moving, we'd have rolled mm-hmm. rocks or done something. So we just had to listen to the elk come in and drink out of the other one and then move away. And we never even saw elk when we were sitting in water. Yeah. But wow. The one good thing that came out of sitting water mm-hmm. is we would sit water from probably 9.30 until 5.30 every day. So we're talking mm-hmm. eight hours of just sitting. And I can't just sit. I, You know, and we talked yeah. about it last year when Donnie and I tried sitting in Idaho hunting early season. And, you know, you can get games on your phone. You can do a lot of things. But an hour of playing a game on the phone. And it's like, my eyeballs are ready to fall out of my head. I'm, you know, I, I mm-hmm. need to get up and move around. I started whittling. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And it kept me busy for at least four or five days. Like I would just, wow. I would just get a chunk of Aspen. There were Aspens everywhere there. So I just get a chunk of Aspen and start carving on it. I carved a boat not like a full-size wow. boat, but a boat with seats in it. And we actually put it in a water hole and it had a, it had a rudder on it. And I glued the seat in, I glued the seats in using pitch from a pine pitch. tree and it like, it locked it in there. It's not, you know, it doesn't just stay sticky and soft. Once it locks in it, it becomes like glue. So <laughs> I I put it in the water hole and there was a little trickle coming through the water hole. So it had a little bit of a current and that thing mm-hmm. stayed straight all the way through the water hole because of the rudder I carved in the bottom of it. 
pretty good design. We left it in the water hole overnight to make sure that it was truly float proof and water worthy. And we came back the next Mm -hmm. day and there was no water in it. It was still floating there in the water hole. So So that's what a mechanical engineer does when he's sitting in the blind. I had to do something. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I carved a top, like a top that you spin. Mm-hmm. And you'd be amazed at how perfectly balanced a top has to be to be able to spin and stay upright. But I've yeah. got I've got a top carved out of aspen wood that will spin <laughs> for over a minute on a flat surface. Wow! Yeah, hey, you, you, it sounds like you might be expanding into new business enterprises. No, no, because that's my wife said. Do you enjoy doing that? And I said, you know. If I have nothing else to do and it keeps my brain and my hands occupied, yes. But if I have anything else to do, I'm going to choose something else to do. But I literally had nothing else to do. I whittled a shotgun shell, a full shotgun shell, including the primer. I carved a hole in the top and put pitch in it and then carved a little primer and put it in there. I carved all the little vertical lines on the side of the shotgun shell, including down at the bottom where that all folds together there, carved all that. And and I carved a duck. Oh, now you're a decoy carver. Yep. So, and the duck, the duck almost floats. It's rolls upside down. It's a little top heavy. Yeah. Yeah, uh, put a little lead on the bottom yeah. for ballast. He'll, he'll sit upright. Totally. But it looks more like so, one of those yellow rubber duckies that you <laughs> would take a bath <laughs> with when you were a little kid than an actual duck decoy. So. <laughs> uh, so what was the end result of all this? Mm, nothing. Oh, <laughs> of okay. all the carving or the sitting? The sitting and the hunting. Oh, the hunting. Well, we can go back to that. I just the most action we had was me carving and whittling at the at the water holes each day. But we uh, we didn't hear any bugling from camp, which we could basically see and hear the whole mountain from where we were. So I knew wow. that you know nine, it wasn't just a, a matter of the full moon because there was no bugling in the middle of the night until day four. And we had a bull that bugled right when we got back to camp at night. And he bugled at least every half an hour through the night. And it was the most lonely, pathetic sounding bugle. (laughs) This elk was so lonely that nobody was answering him. I mean, it was just, you could hear it and just. (laughs) You could just imagine the puppy dog eyes that he had when he was bugling, trying to find a friend. So. We named him Lonely Jim, and we got up the next morning, and Lonely Jim was still in the same place. So we went down down from camp into a little draw and set up and called, and he wouldn't come out of the trees. He was up in the aspens probably 200 yards away, and we bugled back and forth for a good 45 minutes. And he started getting a little fired up, and I would chuckle once in a while, but still could not draw him down the hill. And I did everything. I tried lonely cow sounds. I tried estrus buzzes i tried aggressive bugles lonely bugles chuckles raking nothing worked and he finally mm-hmm. dropped over the back side of the ridge he was on heading away from us so that's when we started our chase up the mountain following an elk but at mm-hmm. ten thousand eight hundred feet it's uh it's a little harder to keep up with them yeah so we finally yeah, we finally did uh catch up to him and got on the same hillside we came over a little ridge and bugled and he was right there 
And he bugled and I challenged him once and he came marching right in. But it was uh, probably only the second time in 15 years of hunting with Donnie that I've got to witness him pass up an elk. And uh, he mm. just, he doesn't pass up many elk, but he passed up, yeah. he passed up Lonely Jim. Uh, Lonely Jim came by him at about eight yards. And then Lonely Jim ended up on top of me at about six yards, looking right at me and bugled. And then uh, he'd realized something wasn't quite right. So he turned and trotted up the hill and I bugled and he turned and circled right back around to come and take a look at me. And he walked by Donnie and John at about two yards, maybe three yards. Cool. Yeah. Got a got a pass again. Donnie ended up passing up uh, another five point a little bit later that morning that we got bugling. So we're thinking, all right, it's day four. We've got two bulls bugling. It's turning on. Things are going to get good here. Mm -hmm. It didn't. It didn't get good. (laughs) Day six, we finally heard a mature bull bugle. First mature bull we heard bugle, Uh, and he was down in a draw. And we moved across, and I got him to bugle. He answered once. We moved in a little ways. I bugled. He answered again. And I thought, all right, we've got to get you know over to the top end of the draw, keep the wind good here. If we get down too low, it's going to pull down in the draw up high. It was still pulling up. And I went a little bit farther and looked down the hill about 60 yards and just saw white of a rump of an elk as it whirled and ran off. So he was coming in pretty hard, and uh, we ended up bumping him. Uh, I say we, I, I was leading the charge on that one and take full responsibility. Had we just set up and gotten a good setup, I think he would have come in. But we were so beaten up over not seeing or hearing any elk that we finally got one to bugle. And I thought we've got to get in close to him and make something happen. And he was probably thinking the same thing. He hadn't heard any elk bugle. Now he heard one. He was coming in to see what was going on, but. We, uh, that was day six, morning of day six. We didn't hear anything else, see anything else the rest of the day. Uh, the next morning we went to the top of the mountain and we're glassing up on the, the shale rock above timberline. And there were four bulls, just little raghorns feeding across up there. And I was just back behind Donnie and John, probably eight yards or so. And I could see just a little sliver of the opening and saw a couple of them go through it. And I thought, well, we'll see what they do. They were a good, I don't know, 500 yards away. So I cow called a little bit and bugled and John turned around. He's like, Hey, they stopped. They're looking our direction. So I gave him a couple more cow calls and a bugle. And uh, all I heard was John say, they're coming at us at a dead run. So all, <laughs> all four of the bulls were running straight down the hill to us. And uh, I moved back to keep calling and ended up calling the smallest little raghorn in to about 10 yards from Donnie and John before it crashed down the hill. And we thought, well, we'll go up on the very top of the ridge where they were. Maybe there's something up there we don't know about. So we climbed all the way up to the top. We were at about, I don't know, 11,600 feet or so. And uh, did a little bit of cow calling. You could hear branches breaking down off the backside. So again, I climbed back behind and where I could look off the side we had come up on and John and Donnie set up on the backside of the mountain there. I ended up calling in that same four point. I don't know how he beat us up the mountain and around the mountain and then came back in from the other <laughs> side, but I ended up calling the same four point back into to Johnny to John and Donnie at uh, at about twenty yards. But while I was over on the backside of the hill, I heard a big bull growl down in the bottom. 
and got the binoculars mm. out and spotted a really nice herd bull with some cows that he was pushing around. And we were, I don't know, a good mile above him there, but could hear him glunking from that far away as he was pushing cows. Mm. So I thought, all right, there's a bull that's rutting. We've got to get down on him. And it's probably eight, probably eight o'clock, maybe 8.30 at this time. So by the time mm-hmm. we got down, dropped down into the bottom, came back up to where the bull was, it was probably close to 11, and he was mm-hmm. no longer there. But there was a, a hillside across from us, a north-facing hillside that had a big aspen flat, and I said, I bet that's where that bull went to bed. So we sat there and called and called and called, and pretty soon over on that ridge, a bull bugled, but it wasn't the same one. It was just a wimpy little bugle. And we kept calling, and it's probably 11, 11.30, and we finally hear a from that aspen patch. And I said, whoa, you know it's not very often that a bull bugles in the middle of the day and lives to see the sunset that night. So (laughs) we got got really excited, and uh, the wind was kind of, you know, it, it was good on the open hillsides. It was pulling up, but you get in some of those little shaded draws, and it was still going down, which was causing some swirling back and forth. And we started moving in and got into some swirling winds. We sat down for a while until it calmed down, and we got over and we had marked on on the phone where we thought that the the two different bulls were were bedded and the one was up a little higher and I thought well we've got to go in above him because we don't want to go in between them and mess them both up so we'll start off with the first one and then move down mm-hmm. and we got right in and we're peeking over the edge of this little ridge and I thought we've got to be right on top of them here and so we set up. And I cow called a couple times and bugled, and all of a sudden the big gust of wind came right up from above us and behind us and blew straight down the hill. And I could see John up ahead of me just shake his head. He knew what was going on, and so we kind of regrouped. And I'm like, well, anything below us smelled us, and I'm sure that they were bedded right on this flat down below us. So I pulled out my phone and was looking at the map and realized there was a little draw that came up that was in between where the flat was, where we thought the elk were. And I said, you know, I think we might have been okay if the wind went down. It might have just pulled down that draw and not got up on the ridge next to it. I think we need to to continue on a little bit. So we went another 100 yards and cow called, and right over to our left, right on the ridge, a bull bugled. And uh, we set up, and I think he bugled four times on his way in. And while he was bugling... Down below us on the Aspen Flat, we could hear, <laughs> so this first bull comes in to uh, 20 yards, and Donnie comes to full draw, and then he turns around and looks at John like, should I shoot or should I wait for the big one that's down below? And uh, well, let's just put it this way. We, uh, we packed an elk off that hillside not too long after that. So <laughs> Donnie, Donnie passed up three bulls in New Mexico and shot a, a really nice bull uh, there in the middle of the day. I think it was one thirty when we got in there and he shot the bull. Uh, it was the only bugles we heard after 8 o'clock in the morning the entire time we were there, including the evening. We didn't hear any bugles in the evening from 8.30 until dark. Mm. Every single day, we didn't hear a bugle. 
other than wow. that last afternoon when Donnie shot his bull. Wow. Boy, I'm glad that we made up a bad lie. We're not very good liars, but I'm really glad that Donnie was the one who had to hunt that hard. <laughs> you know, I know. That's what I was thinking, man. If Randy really had come down here, I'd have felt pretty guilty, make you know, dragging him down to New Mexico and building this hunt mm-hmm. up, and then uh, mm-hmm. having it be as. <clears throat> and it was. I think you know there there are good bulls down in that area. We did see a couple nice bulls uh, either on neighboring properties or way down low. Uh, there were, there were, I wouldn't say a lot of elk, but there was sufficient elk in the area, but it was just so hot and so early that they weren't with the cows hardly at all yet. You know, I think, I really think it turned on the day after we left, they killed two elk, uh, over on the other side of the same ranch. Um, so it sounds like it, it turned on there, but man, that early season's tough. tough. It's just tough, tough hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Good for Donnie. Yeah. Uh, well, one of the videos we planned to shoot while we were out in Idaho. So before we go out in the field, we have all this planning sessions. We call them hub content videos that we're going to film as part of the the deal. And <clears throat> one of the videos that the crew is like, all right, Randy, you don't believe in this uh, moon phase theory. One year out there, once you kill your elk, you need to do a video about dispelling or blowing the myth of the moon phase. <laughs> well, after six days of stomping around, and I mean, I heard some beagles, but it wasn't like you would hear, you know, September 23rd or something. Yeah. I, my ability to do a video to dispel the moon phase theory. I, I, I didn't feel comfortable. <laughs> you, you lost a little confidence in that, huh? Yeah. So, you yeah, know, I think I, I think I, moon phase does play a role. Um, I think mm-hmm. you have to change things up a little bit. I think elk can be killed in any moon phase, but when you couple moon phase with early season and with hot, hot dry weather. temperatures. I think that combination is really, really tough. Yeah. Unless you have a thermal sight on your bow and you're allowed to hunt the hours of darkness, which (laughs) I don't know of any state where you're allowed to do that. Not for elk. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. You're you're not going to have a lot of daytime activity. I guess that's the point. I mean, it it was really interesting for us that as quick as the sun cleared the, the main mountain range, you know, so been legal shooting light for maybe an hour it was like dead yeah like and you would hear nothing other than that one group of cows i heard more cows in the middle of the day than i i don't think i don't think i heard a bugle after 8 8 30 in the morning yeah and then at night the sun would have to be pretty much all the way down which gives you about a 30 minute window there and then it's dark and yep so yeah so what really what really surprised me was how many miles we hiked Mm -hmm. um yeah it wasn't a it wasn't a big ranch that we were hunting Uh, i think we had about four thousand acres total but we only hunted about i don't know 1800 to 2000 of it just the upper upper part of the mountain so wasn't Mm -hmm. a big area but we 
you know, there wasn't an aspen tree that didn't know us by the end of the hunt, I don't think. <laughs> hike 70 miles in in uh, in that limited area. Yeah. But we didn't jump a single elk during the day. Like wow. in all of our hiking, we didn't bump an elk. We didn't jump anything. I thought for certain we'd be going through some of these north face benches or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. whether heading down to water or heading up to the mountain that we would at least bump an elk and, and we didn't. So I don't know. They just, I don't know if they climb under rocks or where they go to hide, but they did a really good job of completely disappearing once Mm. they bedded down. Yeah. Well, an elk, even though they look like a really big thing, they can hide really well. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. When you talk about miles like that, Michael had his tracker, odometer, whatever on. The first day we did nine point something miles. And then the second day we did 12. And he's like, do you know we did 12 miles today? I'm like, yeah, I kind of feel that. Yeah. So I didn't want to tell him this. I'm like, oh, yeah, we got we to gotta eat good. We got to be ready to go. There was no way I was doing more than seven miles the next day. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> that was the day I took a heavy duty nap. Yep. And uh, so I'm not going to average, you know, 10 or whatever miles a day in the mountains for six days. Yeah. I just, I can't do it. I, uh, I've, I've seen you try I, to do it for a few days and you, <laughs> yeah, you end up that. at camp with uh, a pretty good hangover. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When your body doesn't have the plumbing to get rid of lactic acids, you get pretty swollen and puffy and goofy, and so. Yeah, but yeah, but I, I the other part for me, uh, I didn't want to confess this beforehand, but I had a lot of apprehension about my arm injury and everything, and I think there's a lot of people where. Elk hunting becomes a bit of a proving ground or a bit of a confidence maker. I really had some concerns of with, you know, severing these three tendons in my right arm. How am I really going to be able to hunt hard for six days? And I was. So I, I chalked that up to a big victory. Totally. Uh, I wasn't able to do a lot, a lot of my workout stuff that i normally normally would do until later in the summer because they were they were worried about it so i'm like oh man what's my cardio gonna be like (laughs) uh it sucked but i got through it uh so uh every day was a ton of fun it made me realize even though we weren't i didn't even draw back in the whole six days i had a blast It, it made me realize how much i enjoy just being out there yeah every day you get up you're a little tired but you're like today could be the day today's gonna be the day (laughs) and i i I just it's kind of my mental way of getting through the early alarm or like oh man maybe i should just sleep in this morning and i'll hunt this afternoon no this could be the morning that they're turned on this could be the morning where the wind is perfect the setup is right and you're going to get them. Yep. Uh, that enthusiasm part of it, that optimism part of it, it just it gets me really fired up. Well, and it's hard and, to and, uh, it's hard to do. It's really easy to get discouraged 
you know, I think we talked yeah. about it in, in one of our last couple of episodes, but it's so easy to get discouraged. In fact, I, I fell victim to it in New Mexico and I wasn't even hunting. You know, I'm, I think part of it was I really thought that the elk would be rutting down there, you know, and, and I know it's, it's abnormal, but there were so many elk and, and everything we had learned about this area was, yeah, they're, they're ripping on the 1st of September. So getting there and not having that was frustrating. Um, but then I'd also, you know, bought this tag for Donnie as a thank you and as a gift. And now here it was with me. I, I felt like I needed to work extra hard to try to make something happen now. And, and yeah. so I, it was, I, you know, I, I found myself a couple of days into it getting pretty frustrated and really lacking that optimism and that enthusiasm to to go and push so you know here i was not even hunting and all i had to do is just carry a bugle around and <laughs> find an elk to bugle and i still was getting discouraged so it was a uh, it was a good reminder of gosh you just got to enjoy it you know you yeah. whether you're sitting at a water hole whittling a duck or you're <laughs> running straight up a mountain chasing elk that aren't responding mm -hmm. Stop and look around. You aren't in an office somewhere. Yeah. You're, you know, you're out hunting. There's just so much yep. positive and good. And, you know, just, just remember September is super short and uh, hunting yeah. season is short and we're going to be missing it, craving it. So soak it in. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I think when I was younger, I, I've struggled to find some of these points of optimism uh and i i could get down when a hunt was hard for a couple of days it'd be like oh, i'll come back next weekend or uh, you know whatever and uh i just now it i seek these little things that are going to make it exciting for me that day it might be a grouse it, it <laughs> might be you know a new place that i've, I've never adventured to you know tracked or or discovered uh, it's, it, it, I just find little, almost like hourly or, you know, this morning, this is my goal. This is what's going to be fun this morning, or this is what's going to be fun this afternoon. So, uh, I had a blast. I, I know some people would be like, well, what do you mean? You didn't even really get that close to an hour. What do you mean you had a blast? <laughs> I did. I, I've driven by through that terrain and for, you know, 30 years saying some year I'm going to hunt this. And I went and did it. And, yeah, there were a lot of people around. I mean, you Idaho guys, you take your elk hunting pretty seriously. Yeah. And these general units are, you know, as a non-resident, it's a bit of a challenge to get the tag, uh, even it's a, though it's a quote-unquote general tag. Yeah. Uh, and that that could be discouraging, you know, when you see a lot of other hunters that at times can't get you down. Uh, but for me, it's just like, well, yeah. They're, they're as excited to be out here as I am. I, I, I didn't see my name on the deed down there at the gate That's on the trailhead, right. you know. <laughs> well, you did, uh, you but you also saw a big, long list of everybody else's name, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there were like 340 million names on that That's deed. That's right. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I hope I did a good job of staying happy and, and excited and enthused uh, throughout the hunt so that People, I, I don't think people watch my content to hear me moan and bellyache and woe is me and, oh, you know, there's too many hunters and there's this or that. I, 
I, I'm kind of like a kid in a candy store every time I'm out hunting. So <laughs> I, I, I had a blast. I, I learned so much. I mean, you know, we talk about every day as a, as a learning experience. Yeah. You know, now I'm sitting here just being off the hunt for a day questioning well why did you do that randy that that was so stupid why, why? Uh, common sense says this is what you should have done <laughs> but i didn't it's like oh man why does anyone listen to a podcast that i'm on when it comes to elk hunting if that's <laughs> the kind of mistakes i'm gonna make but no and i think that's so. you know mistakes and it is frustrating because I make the same mistakes, you know, every year it seems like. And I think I get mm -hmm. better by the end of the season and I'm making yeah. less mistakes and I'm, you know, it's more natural to do the right thing. But I'm like, how many years have we been doing this? And I still make that stupid mistake at the beginning <laughs> of the season. It's like, you know, I, I think that's part of it is you've got to make mistakes, but the most important part is learning from it. And sometimes I think that's where... Uh, that's where I'm a little slow is I don't seem to learn from the mistake as quickly or as, you know, getting out of that repetitive cycle of making it. But you're off for 11 months. And yeah. I go out there the first yeah. week of elk season. I don't care how many years it's been. I still feel rusty. You know, I still feel yeah. like I'm not in that what we call kill mode where it's like, Hey, it just comes natural. It's on, you know, autopilot kill mode where you just, mm -hmm. you go there and do, and it happens. And uh, it, it doesn't just come natural on day one each year. No. Well, I, I, also, I almost wish that the first morning when we hiked in for an hour and a half, that I didn't get three bulls bugling back to me on my first calling session. Because then I was like, oh, I mean, <laughs> you got all, you're, you're hiking in and, and you, you know, your mind's thinking this and thinking that, and you get to this spot. It's like, okay, this is where I think they're going to be. To that point, it's like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I should write a book about this, man. <laughs> Look at this. I, I pick this spot on the map. I walk in there in my first series of cow calls. I got bulls just bugling their head off. Man, I, I should. Uh, I'm gonna write books about this. Stuff. <laughs> so you think about how exciting that is, right? It's like, yeah, man, I gotta figure. You're doing a little fist pump to yourself, and you like <laughs> smile at the camera, like, boy, I, I, I am such a damn good elk hunter. Look at this. <laughs> yeah. And you, then you blow it. Yeah, and then you come home with your tag <laughs> <you> still. <laughs> yeah, and it, you, you know, it's like the the highs and lows of it. Or uh, I, I think that's what makes the reward of it when you finally do have success yeah. is the amount of the high, low, the peaks, the valleys, the journey oh, yeah. that takes to get there. Yeah. And yeah, it would have been great if I would have, you know, called one of those bulls in right away that morning and shot one of them. That would have been like, oh man, people are going to really think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, I wanted to dispel that myth. Uh, and I... By that afternoon, here's what I told the camera. I said, don't confuse luck with skill. Yeah. I got lucky. Like I, I showed up. The elk happened to be where I thought they might be. They happened yeah. to bugle. <laughs> yeah. So I think we can sometimes get ourselves thinking we're we're pretty darn skilled when eh, maybe there was just more luck involved in that than there was skill. But oh, well, yeah. it was a ton of fun. Very cool. So. No, and that's a, you know, I I love hunting middle of the day 
just because the elk aren't moving and you know and that's what we've talked several times that's the hardest part is when elk are on the move they're going for a reason and getting them to turn or to deviate can be difficult but once they get to that bedding area they're there for a reason and they feel safe and they aren't moving. And so I think the efficiency and the effectiveness of calling go way up when you're in that situation. And, you know, we'd had a really rough week. We'd hunted seven days without any real opportunities other than those little raghorn bulls. And uh, when that bull bugled at 1130 from across the Canyon, I looked at Donnie and I said, that bull just made his last mistake. (laughs) <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's that confidence that you can be beat up for seven straight days. But when one thing happens and you're like, that's my bread and butter right there. When he, when he made that noise, it was like, oh, he's, I know what to do now. Up to that point, mm-hmm. I didn't have a clue what to do to find elk, to get him to talk. But once we got one to talk yeah. and he talked from his bed, it, uh, it boosted the confidence and made the the hike over there a lot easier of course then when the wind switches then all that confidence goes out because you can't control (laughs) any of that and we got lucky that there was a draw separating us and kept our wind from going straight to the elk but a lot of things have to come together and and work out to be able to put a tag on an elk yeah well having followed you around the woods when you have a call a bugle in your hand a time or two um Michael and I were having this discussion about is that, you know, what's the right way to approach it? Should you go and bugle aggressively or should you cow call and, you know, maybe focus on a hope that a younger bull comes in or, ah, I don't know. And for me, there's no right or wrong. It's like, if you want to be a real aggressive hunter, be a real aggressive hunter. If that's what works for you and that's where you find success and where you find a lot of excitement. Or if you find success by cow calling and being a little more passive and whatever, and you, you, you know, you, you do multiple, multiple setups hoping that you call one in with your cow calls, whatever works, yep. you know, whatever you find pleasure in doing, do that. And to take it one step further, do both <laughs> do all of it because yeah, that's go. what it's yeah. going to take to to be consistent you know is not be consistent yeah. with the same thing because the elk are looking for different things different elk looking for different things on different days and i think yeah. early season i i tend more to be less aggressive uh mm-hmm. we're leaving the end of this week to head out for our week in idaho hunting and I plan on being pretty aggressive. You know, I'm hoping the yeah. middle of the month, moon phase is perfect. Temperatures are cooling down. Elk are rutting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take advantage of that, uh, that switch that they have that makes them want to fight. And if I can trip yeah. that, then it makes my job a lot easier. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I, I wish I had some answers, Corey. I didn't. Now I, I came after six days with more questions than I have answers. <laughs> that's the end of every season there's always a hunger there for the next season that's for sure yeah yeah but i I, if you aren't having fun the question would be then why do it yep so i as much as i might get frustrated because that elk drug me up that damn mountain and he was laughing the whole i don't think he's bugling i think he's laughing at us 
trying to catch up to him going up that mountain. We just thought he was bugling. You know, you could get mad, get upset, get frustrated, but I look back at that. That was one of the funnest days because for the whole morning of the climb up there, I was convinced we were going to get that bull. Yeah. I, I'm just like, all right, man, you keep making that noise. I'm going <laughs> to put an arrow in you. And then we get up there and the wind switches and he's still, you know, 400 feet of vertical above us and we can't get to him now. And he's, I don't know where he went. No. <laughs> like you said, he's in Oregon. <laughs> yeah. But, so, well, <clears throat> I wish I could say that I was uh, heading out on another elk hunt. Are you not? But I got to. I got to go to Utah. To? I got a, I got a pronghorn tag. Mm. So this, this this podcast is called Elk Talk, not pronghorn bleat <laughs> or <laughs> pronghorn snort or whatever. Uh, so, so you're going you know, to Utah I'm next? Utah, and then I'm going to Kentucky. Yeah, I'm going to Kentucky. For, for elk. elk, yeah. Yeah. Then what do you you know, whenever that? we do the... Uh, then I'm going to the Yukon for mountain caribou. Oh. Then I'm doing Mon- Montana elk and Colorado elk and Man. Arizona elk. So, uh, you know, whenever we do the sweepstakes, like right now, there's a win a hunt with Randy going on out at the rmef.org website. Uh, and uh, last week's, last year's sweepstakes winner gets to go to Kentucky. Well, he called me. He's like, I don't really want to be filmed. Is that okay? I'm like, look, uh, we tell every winner, if you want to be filmed, we'll bring a camera guy and film it. If you don't, we won't film it. No, no biggie to me. I, you know, so. So you're not going to be filmed? No, we're not filming. I have not seen a Kentucky elk hunt yet. I want to see one. (laughs) Yeah. So he said, no, I don't want to be filmed. And usually we tell people, look, you can't bring a whole entourage of folks yeah. along with, you know, it, it just, so he's like, can I bring my brother? I'm like, heck yeah, yeah. you know, bring, bring your brother, whatever. And so, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I have no idea what to expect. Yep. Um, other than, uh, you know, this season is September 30th through October 4th. I expect that if there is a bull elk around, he's going to let the world know yeah. he's around. So that's my hope anyhow, Corey. Very cool. If I go there and don't get any bugling responses, I'm just going to throw my calls in the trash and <laughs> take up golf or shuffleboard or something. <laughs> I doubt so, that. That'll no, be fun. It'll be interesting. Yeah, well, you got a lot, you got a lot on your plate over the next couple months. Mm-hmm. Not like you're going to be sitting around just uh, cutting out paper dolls or something. (laughs) Carving wood ducks, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Uh, No, we've got our our week in Idaho with John and Donnie and I. And then uh, come back from that. I'm going to hunt with my daughter for a few days. Uh, She'll come home from college. And then uh, I think we talked last episode. Isaac, my son, drew uh, a pretty good archery tag here in Idaho in the leftover draw. So we'll go down and mm-hmm. hunt that. And then we go straight from that to our Outfitters for Hope hunt. And then uh, rifle season opens on the 15th and runs through November 3rd. We'll probably wait until closer to the end of the hunt. But Donnie and I got second tags here in Idaho for the 
rifle hunt here. So hmm. cool. And then basketball starts. And basketball starts. Yep. Hmm. Wow. If people wonder why there might be a gap in an episode, it's because you and I are like ships passing in the yep. night. Just <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think we've been doing pretty good keeping up on things here. I am impressed, Corey. Yeah. I think you and I deserve some sort of like Scooby snack or That's something. That's right. For as good as we've done keeping up with it. I, I think we deserve a, a medium blizzard. Okay. No. I have Choc- extreme with that chocolate ice cream. For oh, me. not me. I like the Royal New York cheesecake is a good one. They've got snickerdoodle, mm. snickerdoodle cookie dough or snickerdoodle cookie or something yeah. right now. I haven't <laughs> tried it. Big, I've never been a big fan of the cookie dough one. Yeah. So. I like the cookie chocolate dough and the cheese. cheesecakes. And if I go down there and say, hey, you guys got some raspberries to throw in there? They're like, for you, yeah, we got some raspberries really? to throw in there. I'm like, yeah. You can ask them to do so, that? Well, you kind of got to, you know, be a regular, Corey. That's, you can't just yeah. be a occasional show up once in a while and think anyone me. cares about your order. Nobody cares. So. Yeah. <laughs> I did I did get one last week and I was a little disappointed. I've never had a bad blizzard, but this one was runny. Hmm. In fact, really? never seen it happen. Hmm. But you know how when you're at the drive through and they bring it out to you and they hmm. tip it upside down? Tip it upside down? Yeah. yeah. He tipped it upside it down and it ran out. Like some ran out. It didn't all fall out, but Ooh. some ran I out. Can... And he tipped it back over and we both kind of stared at each other for a minute, like, now what? Hmm. And he just, I, I'd say, you know what? I'm calling Warren Buffett. <laughs> Warren Buffett, you know, he's a big Dairy Queen fan. He ain't going to put up with this stuff. <laughs> the Berkshire Hathaway Fund that owns a lot of you Dairy Queen operations. We, we, we can't be having a, a, a drainage problem. That's right. Here. Yeah. I mean, well, there used to be the rumor that if it fell out or something, you know, you got a free one or a free one. whatever. And yeah. I think me and the, the kid that handed it to me were both kind of confused as to what was supposed to happen <laughs> next. But he just handed it to me and said, have a good day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See you later. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. back, back to an elk hunting question, though. Uh, Saturday and Sunday, the last two days of the hunt. It was like the bugling activity picked up overnight. Yep. And I'm trying to figure out, did I just end up in a different situation, better scenario, better, you know, the, the bulls just moved in here, they've been here, and they just weren't bugling, and now they are. I Have you ever had that feel like someone just turned on a switch? Totally. Yeah, and, and it happens. Okay. And I, you know, I, I think there are... You'll always find an elk that'll bugle. You know, there, there's yeah. always going to be that. Um, but there is absolutely a switch. And I don't know if it's cooler weather, if it's a weather front coming in, what it is, if it's a cow coming in. But it really seems like there is a three-day period every year where it goes from, man, the bugling action is just super slow to, wow. You know, where, look where we were three days ago to where it is now. There's, you know, we're hearing multiple bulls. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, th- I think any of those factors can help turn it on, but when they're ready to rut, they're ready to rut. Yeah. Well, an unfortunate part that happened here in Montana, getting back to grizzly bears is the second to last day of our hunt, uh, over on the Montana side, just south of big sky. The guy got mauled really bad. Uh, he wasn't even a hunter. He, uh, he's a guy who owns a business that rents ATVs, I think. And, uh, 
he got a call. Hey, we got a deer we hit here. Come help us look for it. So he thought, oh, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll come help you look. So <clears throat> according to the story that and there's a GoFundMe out there, his daughter wrote the story uh, of what had happened. Uh, it's, it's the most gruesome story I think I've ever read. He's, he's still alive. Uh, and so this tall, aggressive bear was on him. Rudy aimed his gun at the bear, but the firearm misfired, making his best choice of defense his fist as he did not have any time to get his bear spray from his backpack. As the bear lunged, the only thing Rudy could do was punch the bear in hopes of slowing it down. Unfortunately, it did not, and after the first punch, the grizzly was on top of Rudy. The grizzly left a large scratch down its right chest, bit his arms, legs, and to top it all off, gave him, as Rudy describes, the most disgusting French kiss of his life before biting down and tearing off Rudy's lower jaw. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So they helicoptered him out of there to Bozeman, and then they patched him up enough that they air-flighted him to Salt Lake City. Uh so wow. in the interim, what happened is the guys who were actually the hunters from what her, the rest of her story sounds like, they heard the commotion going on and they came over there and one of them did fire a shot and hit the bear and the bear ran off. So now that part of our forest is closed because they're like, hey, we got a wounded big bear. old boar, you know, wounded bear yeah. around here somewhere. So feel bad for that guy. No Man, kidding. that's... I mean, I, I can't even imagine a bear grabbing my lower jaw and doing that. No. I just, it's, and to survive it. Can you imagine punching, can you imagine punching a grizzly bear though, as big as, and especially their heads, it would be yeah, so ineffective. Yeah. Like you just feel helpless. Yeah. Even with a gun, you yeah. feel underpowered against a grizzly, you know? Yeah. And I guess, uh, you know, if there is a moral to that story is, you know, if you carry a firearm, great. Or if you carry bear spray, don't have it in your backpack. Yeah. Not not saying that the bear spray could have, you know, maybe there would have been a similar outcome. But, you know, it's hard to get it out of your backpack. You know, at that point, it's just like, may as well have a rock in your backpack. Yep. Something you know about. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, that's just, so, if, if you get attacked by a grizzly, you're never going to have enough time to open your backpack and pull out the, the bear spray. So if you're yeah. truly worried about being attacked by a grizzly, make sure that it's accessible, that you know how to open it. Because in that heat of the moment, it's literally a matter yeah. of seconds. And if you're yeah. fumbling around trying to remember how to, you know, unbutton the, the strap that's holding it down or whatever, and then how to pull the little plug off the top and depress the lever, you know, make sure you've, you've gone through it and you know how to use it so that in those situations, it can come at least somewhat second second nature. Yeah. Yeah, and then just before season opened over here south of Livingston in Tom Minor Basin, two guys were fishing in a little mountain creek, and a bear charged them, and they had to shoot it. Uh, they killed the bear. Uh, so I'm looking at the number of grizzly yeah, bear attacks no we've already had. And we haven't even got and, into the peak season, like the gut, no. the gut pile season. Right. And then, you know, you think about Wyoming opening up some of their backcountry units to uh, elk hunting's late, you know, mid to late September. 
that's when the Wyoming guys really started having a lot of bear conflicts. Yeah. It's I have no idea how many bears the conflicts and encounters we're going to hear about this year. For it to only be September twelfth, whatever, today. Sep- yeah, yeah, and to have as many as we've had is like, whew. Someone asked me, is it because there's that many bears? And and it is, you know, we've got way more bears than we ever did uh, around here. But we also have so many people in the backcountry and out in the hills compared to what it used to be 20 years ago. And just the number of people recreating, hiking, fishing, hunting, living here, you know, down in Ashton, Idaho, just last week, they had to shoot two grizzly bears, year and a half old, you know, recently booted out cubs because they were in the, the out the, in a, it sounded like a subdivision outside of Ashton, Idaho, right at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> They'd become conditioned to human food and they couldn't discourage them. So they quote unquote dispatched them, yep. shot them. So it's, uh, I, I don't know where the long-term solution is going on this. Well, it's like uh, anything. They've, they've got to be managed. You know, yeah. that's, that's the only real solution. You, you yeah. look at, look at Alaska, you go up to mm. Alaska and it's not uncommon to see 20 grizzly bears in a week of hunting up there, but you don't yeah. have very many interactions with them because they've learned to, you know, stay, stay away, keep their distance. And these bears down here, they're the apex predator because they have no, there's no consequence for them for anything they do. And so they just haven't learned through that management that, hey, I yeah. need to keep my distance here because I'm not the, there, there could be consequences for me. I don't get to just go yeah. and chase somebody and chew on them and walk away. And Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, and, and you look at the history of that, twice now the federal government has delisted the grizzly bears yeah. in the greater Yellowstone region. And both times the courts have overturned that. Yeah. It's like the federal game managers are like, <laughs> we have enough of these things. We don't have places to put any more of them. Please hand them over to the state. Yep. Let's, uh, let know, them manage them. Yeah. And so a lot of times you hear, oh, the damn feds, the this or that. Well, not in the case of grizzly bears. Yep. They have they have said, here, we're, <laughs> we're tired of these things. You guys take care of them. We, there's more than enough of them to go around. Yep. But it gets litigated, litigated. They go find a judge or a, a circuit court that, you know, federal district court that is sympathetic towards whatever, you know, argument is made. And uh, that's where we find ourselves as far as delisting at grizzly bears. And uh, well, we still- just don't have room for any more of them. They're, 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 it's not like grizzly bears can live in high-density housing. Yeah. When the elk are overpopulated, you're just, you know, they're they're doing more damage to fields, but there's still a thousand of them out there in that field hanging out together. When the grizzlies are overpopulated, there's there two cubs living in the outskirts of a subdivision eating out of dumpsters because that's the only yep. place left for them to go. Yeah. So I I don't know. It's, you know, it, it is, this has been an eye-opener for me. You know, one lady got killed. This guy got mauled severely bad. Uh, the two hunters at Island Park Reservoir, if they weren't good with their handguns, who knows what that would ha- outcome would have been. Yep. Uh, you know, the bear that same bear that killed the lady that crawled into the kitchen there. I, uh, I just, 
you know, <laughs> that's how conditioned they're getting. Yep. And uh, well, and it, yeah. it amazes me that you know, I mean, we're talking about people saying, "Oh, the you know, the feds they they should let us hunt them," and that that misunderstanding of you know, it goes back to, oh, the fishing game, this, or, oh, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, you know, the people are quick to assign blame and mm-hmm. man, it's, it's usually not assigned <laughs> in the right place. I ran right. into a guy last week that was talking, he had just started hunting not very long ago and we were talking and sharing some stories and he said, well, I just get tired of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation publishing, you know, all of their statistics and their counts from all the states they go and count all the elk in all these states and they're all saying that they're overpopulated and there's plenty of elk but they don't take into consideration that they're all on private land i'm like hold on (laughs) who's doing the counting here the rock you're mad at the rocky mountain elk foundation like no that's up to each state well then he in the same conversation he said well and then you look at montana and their fish and game agency must not be very interested in money because they could easily auction off a couple of governor tags for grizzly bears and and make all sorts of money. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah. they're a federally protected animal, so the fish and game in the state doesn't have that. But I mean, you just I hear uh, yeah. so many arguments like that that people are quick to yeah. to blame somebody and not understand the full scope of the story. And when you understand the full scope of it. <laughs> I think it empowers us uh, to, to become more involved, you know. That yeah, we, and channel channel our energy into a place where it's going exactly. progress. Yep. So, yeah. Instead of, I, instead of I blaming well somebody like the Elk Foundation or the agencies, <laughs> they're on our side. They're, they're our teammate. And when we spend all of our time uh, focusing that blame on them, then we're just really cutting off the hand that feeds us. Well, I think there's a bit of the American perspective anymore that don't let the facts get in the way of me being mad. That <laughs> That's <day>. right. <laughs> yeah. So, but I uh, back to the grizzly thing. I, I don't want to dwell on. It. I don't want to uh, cause people to not hunt in grizzly country. But there are some things you should be thinking about. Things you should do. You know, I violated some of those general protocols last week when I got all excited and I chased that elk through some places that have a greater risk of grizzly bears being in that location at this time of year than some of the other places. And, you know, I I consider myself lucky. Okay, I let enthusiasm get the best of me. And I didn't have a bad outcome like some of these other ones we talk about. But there's it's a reality we're going to have to deal with until, you know, a court somehow just rejects these arguments and says, yes, we're going to let the states have, have uh, control over them. Uh, we're de- some of our best elk hunting in Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming is in grizzly country. So I get it if people check that off the list and say, nope, I don't sleep well when I'm in grizzly country. I don't have any fun <laughs> when I'm in grizzly country. I get all that. And if that's the case, don't hunt grizzly country. And I just... Part of you can't have a discussion about elk hunting and some of the premium areas of the northern Rockies without having some sidebar discussion about grizzly bears. Totally. So Yep. I'm done talking about grizzly bears, Corey. <laughs> I wanna hear all these I wanna hear stories about all these Idaho elk hunts. That's when right. Done. Yeah. And well, I, and I wanna give you a story about a Kentucky elk I hunt. I can't wait. What are the dates for that? That's October? Uh September. 
September 30th 30. through October 4th. Yeah. 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 They do five, five day seasons down there. So got to get it done. Very cool. So, well, well, have fun. I'm going to let safe. you go. Yeah. We, yeah. We, we've kept the audience for an hour and 45 minutes. Whew. I'm sure we've completely bored them. Half of them have probably turned off the radio by now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, by now maybe, but the first half was entertaining at least. Okay. Yeah. Hey, hearing about all my stumbles and fumbles. That's right. Yeah. <clears throat> no. But well, the good news is Donnie survived New Mexico. Didn't break a knee or have any episodes with kidney stones or anything like that. So <laughs> we're, we're off to a that. good start here. Oh, he's in one piece. He's in one piece. Yep, yeah, and he's got a week, <laughs> a week here to recover. So it should be just, uh, should be great. All right, keep him in one piece. By the time it's all done, I, I plan on it. <laughs> and, and next time you're gonna do something like that, I'm a bad liar, man. Yeah. Don't. I, I apologize to Donnie right now and here. Like Donnie, I'm sorry, man. I, I'm not very good at keeping a storyline going so <laughs> no that's people are probably like i didn't even know they were going to new mexico and we kept it pretty hush hush just mm-hmm. knowing the more people that knew the harder it'd be to keep a surprise from donnie so yeah yeah he's a great guy he is I'm glad you did that for him i'm glad he got a bowl and uh i look forward to the rest of your hunting stories this year likewise We'll catch you, catch up again here uh, when we when our when our stars align. All right. Good luck, Corey. You too.